This is The Drive Podcast with Josh Graham. Welcome to the internet, my friend. How can I help you? Check out The Drive weekday afternoons at 3 on WSJS Sports. The question is, are you ready? This is The Drive with Josh Graham. On Sports Hub Triad. Welcome to a Wednesday Drive. Well, we'll reflect on the life of John Madden in a little bit. But before we do any of that, COVID allowing, we got some ball games to talk about. Wake Forest and NC State are both on the road for ACC basketball games tonight. And we're less than 24 hours away from North Carolina going up against South Carolina for all the Duke's mayonnaise up the road in Charlotte. Mac Brown says his guys are in great shape COVID numbers-wise to play. While Shane Beamer revealed the Gamecocks earlier today had some COVID positives, but added it was nothing to worry about, nothing that would prevent them from playing. If that's the case, tomorrow at 11.30 a.m., I think the Tar Heels win this game. And my reasoning's pretty simple on this. North Carolina has Sam Howe, and South Carolina doesn't. How's the reason North Carolina's going to win this game? There is a talent gap between these two teams And there's no area that's more clear than the most important position on the field. Howell is the most prolific passer in North Carolina history, likely going to be a first-round pick. This is likely going to be his last game against the same opponent in the same stadium he started his Tar Heel career against. And the other quarterback in this game is going to be Zeb Noland. It's a great name, Zeb Noland. You might remember, we've talked about this guy before. Once upon a time, he started the season as an assistant coach on staff. He's the graduate assistant that played ball in the spring for North Dakota State, and the only reason he took the field for the Bison was because Trey Lance opted out of playing in the spring, declaring for the NFL draft. Zeb Noland who started the season on the coaching staff as a GA, will be starting at quarterback tomorrow against the Tar Heels in a bowl game. Sam Howell, he's likely going to be needed in the run game. That's the one key area in this. When you look at South Carolina, the areas they've struggled in, their defense, pretty opportunistic, forces a lot of turnovers, but opponents can run the ball against them. That's the big weakness they have. But the problem for North Carolina is this. They've only had four games this year that a running back has surpassed the century mark. Howe, on the other hand, has seven games this year with 98 rushing yards or more. So I expect Howe to run it. I expect him to carry his team to a win because there's going to be incentive for North Carolina to do so. Incentive is half the battle in these bowl games. Howe playing in this game alone, I think, is going to set the tone. How can anybody not take this game seriously if the guy who's going to be a first-round draft pick next year decides to play in the game one but also cares a lot about going out a winner? I think that'll set the tone for the entire team. Not all 6-6 six and six records are made the same. South Carolina, dealing with COVID, probably has a worse COVID situation than North Carolina does. They seem to be happy just to be playing in this bowl game. And Shane Beamer's first year, North Carolina's not satisfied. They've had an underwhelming season. They're 6-6. They thought they'd be a lot better. Preseason number 10, 
You don't want to close this year with a losing record. That would be the most embarrassing thing. I do think it's going to be lower scoring than you might think. I got North Carolina winning, though, and Sam Howe carrying the Tar Heels across the finish line. Give me North Carolina 27, South Carolina 20 tomorrow in Charlotte. We've got Robert Walsh is the producer of this show today. Hayes Permar, fresh off hosting the Adam Gold Show, will be with us in about 10 minutes. We'll play skips or plays with Hayes at the bottom of the hour. Your calls welcome at 336-777-1600. If you want in on John Madden or North Carolina, South Carolina, or the ACC basketball games we have later tonight, we've got two games to watch for. NC State at Miami. And at 8 o'clock in the Bluegrass State, Wake Forest will face the Louisville Cardinals with a real opportunity to send a message. If the Deeks win this game, I don't want to hear anything tomorrow from any one of these doubters. The folks I've heard about the last week saying, oh, they've only played one good team, and they've got lucky, and they should have lost the BMI, blah, blah, blah. Louisville is an NCAA tournament team. They are one of the four most talented teams in the ACC. They are at home at the Yum Center. If Wake wins this game, I don't want to hear it. Virginia Tech is another one of those four most talented teams, and Wake went into Blacksburg, into the Castle, and won by 19. If Wake wins this game, they're legitimate. I already think they're legitimate, but I don't understand anybody else doubting that they're legitimate. Eventually, the record has to mean something. 12-1 would be 12-1. That would be the best record in the ACC. And they'd be the only team off to a 2-0 start in ACC play. I believe that's correct. If they beat Miami on Saturday, too, then you'd be talking about 13-1. There's no way on earth you could justify not ranking this team at this point. Or at that point. Talking about a uh, 13-1 and Deacon team already receiving votes. Wake Forest has not been ranked since February of 2010. It's been a long time. But tonight is a great opportunity to silence whatever remaining doubters there are who haven't been paying attention to the Deeks, who still believe it's the same old, same old that we've seen in the last decade with Bezdelic and with Danny Manning not knowing much about what Steve Forbes has done particularly in the transfer portal, but what he did before arriving on campus and the type of coach he was before he was the Wake Forest coach. I like the Deeks tonight. They got Jake LaRavia back. I don't know who's available for Louisville coming off the pause. 8 p.m. ACC Network. Give me the Deeks to win on the road tonight. NC State Miami, another one that we're keeping an eye on as well. As I mentioned, on Twitter at WSJS Sports. That's a way that you can chime in on the show. Also, 336-777-1600 if you want it. Let's go to Brandon in Greensboro, who wants in on North Carolina and South Carolina. When I look at this game, I'm going North Carolina because of the quarterbacks. The Tar Heels have Sam Howe. Zeb Noland started this season on staff for Shane Beamer as a GA. What do you think about this quarterback matchup, Brandon? Um, I think you're. I think you're probably right on the winner. Uh, the reason I had called was to tell you a connection between uh, Sam and Zeb. Oh yeah. Uh, Sam's mom 
graduated from Tuscola High School in, in Waynesville, North Carolina. Zeb's dad graduated from the several years before, but eventually coached at Tuscola before he went on. So there's a connection there. Wow, so they're from the same general area? Same general area? Uh, yeah, same county. Uh, Travis, Zeb's dad, graduated from Pisgah High School in Canton. There's two high schools in the county. Uh, Amy, Sam's mom, graduated from Tuscola High School. How about that? I appreciate the call. I hope you have a merry and happy new year, Brandon. appreciate you listening and for sharing that with us. Obviously knew where Sam was from, right down the road. Going to be honest, didn't know a lot about Zeb Noland, even though I saw him play and beat East Carolina and Greenville in a game that the Pirates probably should have won. Robert, you were at that game too, weren't you? Yeah, I was there. I don't know if Zeb beat the Pirates, but uh, he threw South like Carolina, a pick six on the first pass. South Carolina definitely um, won the game. Yeah, South Carolina did win that game. I'm not bitter about it, not at all. ECU went to a bowl game, and Shane Beamer, South Carolina did too. Everybody's happy, I guess. But that day, I wasn't very happy. Shoot, I said I wasn't bitter about it. When Hayes Permar drops by. I'll share my thoughts on John Madden and his three Hall of Fame careers. Then we'll play Skips or Plays with Hayes at 3.30. That's all coming up here on a Wednesday Drive. He's got a lot of knowledge about things I'm curious about, and he's cool. You're on the Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. After filling in for Adam Gold today and all this week, our guy Hayes Permar from Sports Channel 8 will be with us in just a bit. There are many ways we could talk about the life of John Madden, who passed away at 85 years old, we learned yesterday. But I don't want to make the mistake that many biopic movies make, trying to jam way too much into a small space. Instead... I want to take the approach of one of my favorite biopics of the last decade. Robert, have you ever seen the movie, the Steve Jobs movie, Jobs? Nope, never. Yeah, there's two. See, you got the good one that I'm talking about here with Michael Fassbender. Then there's the one with Ashton Kutcher. See the one with Fassbender and Kate Winslet, if you haven't seen it already. What makes that movie great was that it focused on the three most important areas of Jobs' life. The creation of the first Mac, his exit from Apple, and his return to Apple. And that's what I want to do with Madden. Because Madden had three Hall of Fame careers, in my opinion. Which makes him the greatest football ambassador I think we've ever seen. Like, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame as a coach. Not as a broadcaster. Not because of the video game. He was inducted as a coach. And when you look at his resume... It's justified considering in the 70s, that was the golden era of NFL coaches. It was Chuck Knoll, it was Hank Stram, Don Shula, Bud Grant, Weave Eubank, a lot of great coaches in the 70s. Against those coaches I just named, John Madden had a winning record against all of them. And he won 75% of his games, make it 76% of his regular season games. That's the highest of any coach to this day with at least 100 wins. So, as a coach, that's a Hall of Fame career. This is the part I would love your thought on, Hayes Permar. 
after doing a three-hour show. Appreciate you spending the time. We'll get the skips or plays with Hayes in about 15 minutes. He's the greatest analyst in the history of American sportscasters. And I was trying to think, because there are a lot of people now, like I barely even met this threshold, but I think it's really 25 or under, probably doesn't remember watching John Madden at all. Right. I, I was fortunate to get it. It is ESPN days before he started doing stuff with NBC with Al Michaels. But I think he's the greatest, and the best way I would sum it up, I remember I was having this conversation earlier this year with someone. I don't know how Madden came up, but they were like, oh, wait, he was a broadcaster? And the best way I could explain it, knowing that person liked college basketball, imagine Jay Billis and Dick Vitale, the best of what they both bring to a broadcast. In one person. Jay Billis is known for his analysis, his right. basketball acumen, and being able to explain things to people in a way that's consumable in a very, very short period of time. That's really hard to do. Dick Vitale is the ultimate mascot, entertainer, mascot, bigger than life personality, former coach. If Dick Vitale, the best of what he brought, and Jay Billis, the best of what he brings together, was one announcer, that's John Madden. I'd add on top of that, he one of the I realize you're talking the best of Billis and the best of Vital, but one of the things that he managed to do um, that Billis doesn't do so well because I like Billis as a person and as an analyst, but when he gets on my nerves and other people's nerves, it's when he seems like he's a know-it-all. Madden had the ability to sound to to know it all without sounding like a know-it-all. Does that make sense? Like Norm McDonald was. That's what he was complimented on. And like, you might be the smartest guy in the room, but you're fine if people don't know that. Yes, stuff. and it never felt like he was talking down to you. Um, I, I always, uh, I used to make this analogy between high school teachers and college professors. No, uh, no disrespect to college professors. I had a few good ones of those too. Uh, but high school teach. I had some great high school teachers. And it always felt like they were standing sort of beside you or a little bit ahead of you pointing to this cool subject that they loved and they wanted you to love it as much as they do. They were like, come on, like I'm going to show you why I love this. That was a great high school teacher. And college professors, it was like they stood between you and the knowledge and they were like, if you play by my rules, I've got the knowledge. I've, I've earned the knowledge. And if you play by my rules, I'll share it with you. And Madden definitely fits in the high school teacher of like, that dude just loved football, and he truly wanted you to love it more. You know, whether it was cheering, you know, cheering for the Dallas Cowboys offensive line, and just letting you know how impressive and how much he enjoyed just watching. Like, look at these guys, right? Nate Newton, that, best that's, example. That's the guy that nobody knew who Nate Newton was until John Madden was like, "This guy's one of the best players in football." Yeah, I don't think people guys. talked about line play at watch all. Larry until Allen, Madden. yeah, yeah, and and that's the the vital that you're like, look at. These guys, you know, but the 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 billist part of it, the the analytics, the telestrator, you know, drawing and showing you a, a defensive shift or an assignment or whatever. I, I he felt like that guy that just loved football and truly wanted you to love it. He he, he knew not everybody was going to be a football coach, right? He's not going to try and throw you, or and he's not trying to prove to you how much he knows the game. He just wants you to love it a little bit more. And uh, and with every broadcast, I think he kind of did that. So, as a coach. As a broadcaster, Hall of Famers in every way. Then the video game element of this is going to impact future generations to come, and really the last couple of generations, 
if it wasn't if he wasn't already a Hall of Famer, I think as a contributor, he would have gotten in just because of Madden. Like you go back and look at look at some of the stories of Madden football, how it got started. He they were adamant of making a seven on seven football game, and Madden's like, no. However long it takes, we need to make it eleven on eleven. That's the biggest That's thing. The game. And it turned out that obviously Madden football was a lot better as a result than some of the other ones you had out there. And that's obviously something that's going to last generation upon generation. However, I will ask both of you guys this. How often did you use the Ask Madden feature on the Madden video game? Because I think if you were to follow Madden's advice, things probably would not have gone well for you in the game. Uh, I, I let it, you know, I always had like a few plays that I would actually use on, it's usually defense. I'm not letting him call offensive plays for me, but on defense, I'm like comfortable in a couple different sets. And so there are times where if what I was thinking was also what Madden, it just became easier to hit the Madden button. Like I would do it, but no, all, all in, I'm not letting him call the game for me. Robert. I think Madden calls a hell of a game. <laughs> uh, he a lot always, of blitzing. I mean, no, no. I mean, not even really. I mean, the only games that that really happened in when the engage eight would always come up on third and short were like the the yeah. early engage uh, two thousand tens. Like now, the the game is so smart and they have it picked out. So like down in distance, and they'll give you options. Now it's like you have a z- option of a zone if you're a zone team, or if you're playing with the Ravens and you want to do like a man blitz, like. Ask Madden has come a really long way since the Peyton Hillis versions of Madden. I'll take your word on it because I haven't played the last few, but I can't think of a situation that Madden actually encouraged you to go for it. Like, Madden was always there. Oh, yeah. Madden's wrecked. I can't tell you how many times in college I'm playing Madden, and then the punt would always come up with fourth down. I'm like, oh, bleep you, Madden. No way. Nah, we're going for it on this fourth and four at the 46. Um, Madden also was the blessing and the curse that it it, it probably did. Like, you just learned the names of defensive formations a little bit more. You know what I mean? Um, Like, you you became a smarter football watcher by playing Madden. Probably just because you could play a game. Like, you can get so many reps in. It takes four hours to play an actual football game. You can play a Madden game in, like, 15 minutes. So in four hours, you can play like a season, right? But it also, the curse is, it allowed everyone to think that they actually are a little bit smarter. Like, I definitely, to my core, believe I've invented modern defenses and don't feel like we've gone far enough. When I was playing my seven uh, defensive back defense, one linebacker, four down linemen. That's the meta then, now. That's what everybody's rocking. And then seven, basically seven defensive backs, but then I'm calling a bunch of them up to the line as if they were linebackers. Um, you won't tell me that I didn't invent that defense with a, with a Madden variation, and now it's being used across a football program. Permar, we've got an update from Yankee Stadium right now. Maryland and Virginia Tech. The Hokies trail 21-3. to Ooh. Halfway through the second quarter, the ACC struggling to play game. Hey, at least they're playing. They at least are. these guys are playing. Jim Phillips is probably thinking, um, "Are we sure we really want to play these games?" I don't know. Out. Do you miss Maryland being in the ACC? Nah, but partly because like Virginia sort of took their place as uh, another Duke rival. You know, like a worthy Duke. for a while it was it was Maryland, and you know, UNC Duke was always going to be rival. And NC State, Duke had some rivalry. See, but, but Cavalier fans are too nice. Uh, I only say that because my fiance is a Virginia grad and I went to go see them yeah. a couple weeks ago. But no, I don't miss Maryland. 
I do. I'm sorry. Like football, they were it, it, totally irrelevant. I mean, I know they were good at times. They're but even like, more irrelevant in the Big Ten now. I know, but like I didn't think about them then, and I don't think about them now. Um, I mean, they, they were basically Boston College to me in football. That's how, that's how little I thought of them. Basketball, they obviously had more of an identity, but um, but nah, I don't miss them. We've got that game tonight, or going on right now, I should say. Clemson, Iowa State, a 545 kickoff down there in Orlando. And Oregon, two ranked teams tonight. Oregon, Oklahoma. Usually the Holiday Bowl is the signal of the start of really good good games games happening. But, uh, and I guess that is still the case with all these games kicking off, even though the Holiday Bowl did did not kick them off. No, that didn't happen. I felt like BYU used to always be in the Holiday Bowl for some reason. Oh, no doubt. Like there, there have to be more Holiday Bowl. BYU has to have played in the Holiday Bowl more than anyone else. Well, right? they clinched a national championship in '84 yeah. with a win, I think, against Michigan in the '84 Holiday Bowl. I could be wrong on that. Robert, we've got skips or plays with Hayes. You want to share what the theme is going to be this week? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We'll learn. I'll tell you. Okay. What is it? No, nah, I'll just wait. We'll wait. All Let's right. Go. We will. Do you really want to know? Find out. That's what we call a tease. We've got Hayes Permar playing skips or plays. NC State claiming a bowl win in a game it never played. All on the way next. I think he is very insightful. He makes some really great points. He's the man. He's the man. (laughs) The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Hayes Permar, hanging out in studio with us. We got skips or plays with Hayes in just a few minutes. Robert, I got Hayes' Christmas card a couple days ago, and there's one picture of Hayes riding a horse and then another of him posing with a dog that he has that looks like a horse. Now, I, there's the, the picture of the dog is with my wife. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not in the picture with the dog, but I get your point. That's right. Is it a shirtless horse photo like you're uh, yes. Putin? Uh, yes. Damn it, man. I really got to get I'm, I'm just going to send you a late Christmas card just so I can get. If I get one from like you, I'll an send extra. It. Do you have no. extra sitting around from like past years or do you no. order just enough for the people that send them to you? No, I just order a couple extras and then, you know, and then if I get a late stray, then I got one to send right back at you. NC State didn't play in the Holiday Bowl yesterday. But that didn't stop NC State from being presented with the Holiday Bowl trophy earlier. And Andrea Adelson reported NC State's going to count this as their 10th win in the record books, which then prompted David Warlock, great name for somebody that is the head of PR for the NCAA, to tweet this. The NCAA does not recognize forfeits for bowl games unless the game officials declare it so which they can only do once they have jurisdiction over the game. Jurisdiction over the game occurs 90 minutes prior to kickoff. Once inside that window, the officials have that option. Otherwise, it's deemed a no contest. So they cannot claim that it's their 10th win by NCAA standards. To that I say... The NCAA is not really in charge of this anymore anyway. If we want to claim that as NC State's 10th win, then that's exactly what we're going to do. I guess here's my question. What do you get out of claiming it as a 10th win? 
second time in recruiting, man. Recruiting. Tenth, second 10-win season in program history. That's what you do. Yeah, I mean, as long as you make sure that you're getting your bonus, as long as the staff is getting its 10-win bonus, because that matters, that was on the line. <laughs> that was on the line. And a bowl game win uh-huh. bonus, that's uh-huh. on the line, and a top 25 finish. Now, that they'll probably stay in the top 25 because they're not going to lose. Yeah, they were 18th in the yeah. most recent AP top 25. Now, but, if you understand the history of college football. But claiming 10 wins. It would not be the most egregious thing that's been claimed. No, and I'm not no. Just, and I'm not just talking about. UCF in 2017, which I think is perfectly fine for them to claim. Alabama, once upon a time, they claim they've won 11 national championships. Right. Prior to 1984, they had six. They had six. And the PR guy decided to go through and comb the history books and found there's a lot of different polls. That say yeah. that teams have won a national championship. It's a little bit like UNC's. What's the what's the twenty the Helms? Oh yeah, the, the one way back when nineteen twenty three or twenty four. Yeah. Jack Cobb, shout out to you. No one. This is according to ESPN that reported on this once upon a time. No one has ever really claimed Alabama won the national title in nineteen forty one. A lot of people like to bring that up. It's a two loss Alabama team, ranked twentieth. In the AP poll, considered national champs over unbeaten Minnesota because according to this PR guy, this is true, they had great wins against great Tennessee, Georgia, and Tulane teams. Minnesota didn't play in a bowl game that year because of World War II. The AP did its final poll at the end of the regular season, and among the four bowls, this guy thought... Alabama's win at the end of the year in their bowl was most impressive beating top 10 Texas A&M. So this guy decided, Alabama PR person, Alabama with two losses was better than unbeaten Minnesota that year. So they claim a national championship. Auburn did something similar. The NCAA says that Auburn was not eligible for postseason in 1957. But if you go to their website, it still says Auburn's won a title because the AP was under no such restriction to give a national championship to Auburn. So that title still somehow stands too. Sketch. Both um, in the state of Alabama. But and and yeah, those are so far gone now that people probably won't question them or care. This one at least will be around for a little bit. But I feel like it opens you up to A. What you, you tell your guys, like, we don't want a cheap 10-win season. We want a real 10-win season, and that's what we're doing next year. Like, yeah. that's your whole mantra, right? To get your real 10 wins. But B, it also opens you up to being like one of, you know, the 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 Helms Foundation. When you make fun, we, we as at rivals, we point to your other rival. And like, you put up a banner for that. You're giving out a ring for this. You're calling that a 10-win season. Print the shirts. Yeah, I just I I'm not sure if it gets you that much that it's worth claiming. For the as long la- as you get the bo- the money's the only thing that matters to me. As long as I get my ten win bonus, I don't care what you call it. Take care of y'all chicken. Take care of y'all the mentals. Yeah. Uh huh. We're getting set for 2022. For the last time of 2021, we play skips or plays with Hayes. Hayes Permar is somewhat of a renaissance man, an expert in the finer things. 
but he hangs his hat on music. Loves his God, and he's no friend of Satan. It feels like 06, getting busy with the sticks, been watching Big Mike and Lil Trick. I just need a Zion and someone he can dunk on. Today, Hayes will decide if this music is smash or trash, glows or blows. It's time for Skips or Plays with Hayes. All right, for this week, I decided we would do a Madden-themed Skipser plays. So these are all songs that appear on a Madden. Uh, and I kind of have a point I want to make here. But first, I feel like Madden has done the Lord's work in exposing young people to music they would otherwise never hear. I would put, such a great, I would, great edition of this. I would put it up there with Guitar Hero, Tony Hawk Pro Skater, Raw vs. SmackDown, as video games that kind of expose you to music that were outside of your comfort zone. FIFA sure. and NHL do that pretty well. Sure, too. yes, all sports games, but I think Madden was head and to, uh, shoulders above everyone else. Notice I said was, they are no longer. Gotcha. We'll get there. First, uh, I didn't get to dive super deep into the Maddens because I didn't start playing Madden until the Peyton Hillis version. So that's where we're going to start off here. Wow. The fr- I know, right? What's that, like 09? Uh, I think it's honestly 10 or 11. 10. I, I, I didn't get into like organized sports like football, baseball, basketball. I was just a wrestling kid, and that was it until like 10th grade. And Madden. I, oh, sorry. Then, and then I found Madden. And Madden put me onto football, put me on, and sports games alike. They all put me onto the sports. So we're going to start with the Peyton Hillis version. One of my favorite songs off of there it became super popular and actually helped them drop an album. Uh, you got Colors here by Group Love. Yeah, I am a man, 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 up, up in the air. And Madden did this and thing where they like perfectly around, blended and alternative like and hip hop and classic they did. They rock. Put, they put together a, a strong playlist. I love Group Love. This music video, though, rough. Not as good as this song. There's a lot of bands that sound like this around this time. The Black Keys, like, kind of uh, cut from that claw. I'm like imagining myself uh, trying to trade a sixth, a seventh, and a third round draft pick <laughs> for the Bengals' second round draft pick that could then turn and flip a second and a first. Or, Young you the know. Giant qualifies for this. I too, mean, I snowed. Even put it on expert mode for GM or whatever. I will always beat the computer in trades and just be flush with draft picks. Then the other thing I would do is I would. Uh, you know, you only got so many uh, scouting combat, like trying to figure out how good somebody was. Uh, you know, yeah, you got yeah. points to like uh, uncover their traits and stuff. But I, but I would uncover the traits and then maybe like not save it and write down what their traits were, <laughs> and then go back to to my last save spot where I hadn't spent the money, and then look at other traits. So like on draft day, I was. Only drafting superstars. God, is that a you skip for a out. play? I can't even tell. That is a that's a play. That I didn't know that song, but it it it, it, it kicked up a little bit. I'll take it. It's a play. Hey, Spermar. I'm interested to know. But so I would hear these songs while I was doing this long, painstaking yep. process of going through every top draft pick to get all their accolades and make sure I was getting the best dudes. Next, right. uh, you'll probably know this song, and and this is my part about bringing older music to newer fans. Uh, I wasn't super into hip hop at this time, but I definitely found out who the good guys were and who they weren't. Uh, and this one is uh, they reminisce over you. Oh, 
all-time background music for a sports game. I think this has been in three or four different video games. Also, this is a sports edit, so you guys don't have to worry about any bleeps. This is an obvious play. <laughs> I should have skipped the last one. I, I felt bad because both of you guys liked it. You got a skip much. coming. Don't worry. Uh, all right. But no, this is a play. This is good stuff. Which What year was... Well, I, I don't want to say it because it could be coming next. But no, this is good stuff. I'm, I'm this, is, this is perfect this video game music. Don't, it's, don't, like, it's not Eric B. and Rockham. This is like... Is it J.L. Smooth or C.L. CL Smooth? C.L. Smooth and Pete Rock. Pete Rock. Okay. So good. That's great. And now we get to the point of what Madden soundtracks are like now, where it's not integrating semi-popular music. It's having songs that have to do with the sport that you are playing and incorporating athletes' names into these songs just to be trendy. So from uh, last year's Madden, this song is called Flag on the Play. Oh. And it is historically awful. Flag on the play. Yeah, yeah. That's a flag. Who on sings the play. it? Uh, Black yeah, Zach. Flag on the play. Hold up. Do I need to guess Black Zach's ethnicity? Yeah, we can skip this. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need this. What is the best football reference in a rap song? Uh. I don't know. That I don't, I don't, I don't a have a rap dive. encyclopedia in my head yeah, like some people do. Right? All like, I know is a one Madden. Although it may have been a FIFA. I think it was a Madden though. They had Outcast uh, Church. Madden. Church. Sometimes Madden. I can keep it down. But the bum, dun, dun, See, dun. Madden 02 used to have. That's the first one I played. Yeah. Madden 02, where there was this rap. There was this line. I don't know who had it. I don't know if we could find it, but it's. Uh, Fourth down, what to do now? It only seems you're inches away from a touchdown. Still sticks with me 20 years Sounds later. Sounds like something you would have written. Yeah. I also, the, for the, the most Madden song I remember is, is it Franz Ferdinand? Yeah. Take, take, take me, me out. Take me out tonight. That was also on Tony, Scott, Tony, uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater. That song came Take out in 2005. Out. Doesn't that make you no, feel old? That, that feels like that, such a young song. Yeah, but that that Great felt song. like a video game song to That's me. That's a good karaoke that, that song, the by the way. Of, uh, of a Madden song. Because everybody knows it from something. <laughs> One of these games. So karaoke pro move. Pull out Speaking the Franz song, Ferdinand. Everybody knows. You guys can pull this up later if you want. But uh, I was listening to Madden call the Panthers' first ever playoff win earlier today. Cowboys? Yep, and it was cool, but then all of a sudden, do you know what the crowd started chanting after Sam Mills' interception to clinch the game? Fire Matt Rule? No. <laughs> no, but great guess. They, I mean, obviously the song was probably playing somewhere, but you couldn't hear the song, so maybe they had played it and stopped it, and the crowd just kept the chant going. Whoop, there it is. Oh! Whoop, there it is. Whoop, there I was like, wow, the entire... Erickson Stadium or whatever it was called then. That's what it was called. Was doing the whoop, there it is. And I think we need to bring that back. Even if it has to be scoop, there it is. We did like, bring that back we in need, 2021. The cra- that's a great crowd chant that you could own that like nobody else does. That when you score a touchdown, whoop, there it is. Whoop, the whole crowd doing fans, it. I feel like fans just aren't that smart anymore. Like what can fans chant? 
Like you know, this, you're you're so right on this. Remember, people got mad about the keep pounding going away. Yeah. Well, what actually happened was they hit the drum and they just didn't put keep pounding on the scoreboard. You didn't tell fans us weren't smart it. enough to do Say, yeah. keep pounding. The European soccer fans are like light years in front Bingo, of us. Bingo, dude. Those chants are so dude, fun. I don't they, even like soccer and I want to chant with them. They come prepared, dude. They have practice and stuff. And oh, they, we got you know, the Cameron they, we, Crazies in North Carolina that are pretty I, coordinated. That's, that's a cheer sheet. They are yeah. Duke students, though. Yeah, yeah exactly. But they, even theirs isn't as good as, uh, as some of the European stuff. But like, dude, I, all I want now is just Bank of America Stadium to just in unison do a whoop, there it is. Whoop! Every time we score a touchdown or have an interception. Get this social media campaign started because way too many places are doing swag surfing. Somebody swag else surfing or Seven Nation Army. You know, everybody's saying the dun 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 dun. Yeah, I'm going to Baltimore this weekend. Give they me, claim it's it's time to take me, that to the Salvation Army. We're tired of hearing it. Give me a whoop. There it is any day. Permar, I hope you have a, a happy holiday. Uh, and we'll see you. I'm not going to do the 2022. We'll see you next year joke. Not going to do it. It's good to have you here. All right, man. See you next year. On Twitter at DHPIP. He's the man. He's the man. <laughs> Settle down. You're on the drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. On Big Ten Network right now. Checking in on Tubby's guys. Number 10 Michigan State is getting everything it can handle right now from High Point. With 7.18 to go, Michigan State leads High Point 62-58. Massive week for the Panthers. In a couple days, Tubby's name's going to go into the rafters of Rupp Arena, facing the number 18 team in the country at Rupp Arena. Uh, right now, it's the number 10 team in the country and High Point is rolling right now on a run. Right now it's a four-point game, 65-61. We'll continue to keep you posted on that. Another thing to keep you posted on, the North Carolina Tar Heels, supposed to be in action tonight, but because of COVID in the Virginia Tech basketball program, will not be playing the night. The next time we'll see them will not be Saturday, as originally scheduled, at BC. It will be Sunday at either noon or 1 o'clock, we've learned in the last 30 minutes. BC. We haven't seen them since December 13th as they've had COVID issues as well. Somebody who's going to have a really busy week is the voice of the Tar Heels, Jones Angel, who joins us. Jones, it's not as busy as we thought it might be going into the week, but starting with the football tomorrow, how significant do you believe this Dukes-Mayo Bowl to be for Mac Brown's group? Oh, I don't know, Josh. I mean, I think uh, certainly the, the Tunnels uh, are excited to be there. And I do think something that Mac Brown has said, which is accurate, is that seven and six feels a lot different than six and seven. Um, because I do think a winning season matters. And so being able to get above 500 for your final record, I do think um, is significant. Um, yeah, certainly the Tunnels are not where they expected or wanted to be when this season was all said and done. Um, but you got to live with the moment that you're in. And so for the Tar Heels, uh, their moment is to try and cap things off with a win, try to get that uh, winning record for the entire season, to beat a, a solid SEC team in, in South Carolina, 
and to try to keep uh, the, the very obvious momentum that the Tar Heels have in a lot of areas, most notably on the recruiting trail, uh, to keep that going. And so I, I think in those aspects, um, this is a, an important game for the Tar Heels. And, you know, more than anything else, you just want to win because you're playing. You know, that's something Roy Williams used to say all the time when, when people would ask him about the ACC tournament is, you know, it used uh, he had the reputation of acting like that tournament, you know, didn't carry a lot of weight to him. But the whole point was, if you're playing a game, you want to win. You don't just go out there to, to walk around. And so uh, I think for the Tar Heels, they're there to compete. Uh, they feel like they uh, have a team capable of winning the game, and, and that's what they're going to try and do, of course, for sure. The significance for many people uh, watching who are Tar Heel fans as well, probably it's going to be the last time we see Sam Howe. Now, he hasn't declared for the draft yet, but Mac Brown's even told us that, and he's told the rest of the media too, that, he expects, if he's a first-round draft pick, in all likelihood he's going to be declaring, and that's where what he's going to do. But uh, when people talk about, that's something we're going to hear about, I think, in the draft process leading all the way to April, how much do you love football, your competitive nature, all those things. When people talk about Sam Howe's competitiveness and love of the game, is there something specific that you've seen behind the scenes that stands out to you that speaks to what that's been the last three years? Well, I don't even think you need to go behind the scenes. I think you just should watch a Tar Heel game tape, uh, really from any of the three previous seasons, but certainly this season, because Sam Howe did not have the same level of complementary weapons on the Tar Heel offense this year that he did his first two seasons. You know, Dami Brown and Daz Newsom and Michael Carter and, and Javante Williams, I mean, all those guys are, are playing in the NFL and playing significant number of snaps in the NFL right now. So, so we know the caliber of player that Sam Howe had around him when he was a freshman and a sophomore. And that's not in any way to knock the guys that Carolina's had this year because, you know, players like Ty Chandler have really grown as this year has gone along. Antoine Green has really grown as this year has gone along. We certainly know that Josh Downs has had a, a terrific uh, season for Carolina as well. So yeah, that is in no way a slap against those guys. But if you watch Sam Howe play, it's pretty obvious there's one major difference in how he's playing this year, and that's the amount of running that he is doing. And for a guy who does have the opportunity to go to the NFL uh, and be a high-round draft pick in the very near future, um, I don't think Sam Howell, you know, he could sit there and go, you know what, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna run like this. I'm not gonna take these shots. I'm not gonna stretch out for the extra yard or two. I'm not gonna try and get in the end zone if we can just go for it again on third and goal. Um, but that hasn't been him. He, he's always um, wanted to be the, the guy who gets that extra yard, who gets in the end zone, who leads his team uh, as best he can. And look, just I'm never gonna suggest that or say something negative about somebody who elects not to play in a bowl game. I, I think that's the world that we're in at this point in college athletics, and the Tar Heels have a lot of significant guys, most of which I just mentioned a moment ago, who elected not to play last year in the Orange Bowl. And that was their choice. But I do think the fact that Sam Howell has elected to play in this game should tell you something about his level of leadership and the type of teammate that he is, because he's not going out there – to try and set a record or to throw a certain amount of touchdowns or to improve his tape. He, he's, he's got plenty of that. 
he's going out there because he wants to play with his teammates at least one more time. And, you know, who knows what he'll do in the future. But, you know, certainly uh, he wants to do it at least one more time here uh, coming up in Charlotte. So uh, I think all those things should, should tell you those answers about Sam Howell. It's the voice of the Tar Heels, Jones Angel, with us here on WSJS Sports and The Drive. Let's shift things to basketball. We mentioned the scheduling change for this weekend. I, I see some Tar Heel fans who, you know, have been down on Hubert on social media, which is to be expected when you have something new and you, you're used to something a certain kind of way for such a long time with Roy Williams. But for me, I think he's done a really nice job to start this year because one thing I look at, the sign of a good coach, Mac Brown's even told us this one time, is that you don't lose games that you're supposed to win. And North Carolina has their three losses this year. Yes, you can you can focus on margin if you'd like and be mad about that with Tennessee and Kentucky specifically, but the three losses they've had are the teams that are ranked in the top 25. And they got good wins against Michigan. They got a win at College of Charleston, which I think is a good one. And there are a few others you can point to as well. I, for that reason, I think Hubert's off to a pretty good start. What's impressed you the most about Hubert's first non-conference uh, schedule as the Tar Heel coach? Well, number one, I'm stunned that somebody would be negative on social media. That's a big surprise <laughs> uh, to hear that. Number two, um, you know, I do think it's it's okay to be disappointed uh, with the Tennessee and Kentucky games if you're a Tar Heel fan. And, I mean, you never want to lose. Don't get me wrong. I thought right at the point that Purdue and Carolina played, Purdue was in a better place than the Tar Heels were at that moment, and they probably still are at, at this moment. And so I thought Carolina competed really hard in that game and just came up short against a team that, that's really, really good. Um, but it's okay to be disappointed with Tennessee and Kentucky, not because you lost, but because of the way the Tar Heels looked in, in those losses. I think that is a legitimate concern. I think it's something – that Hubert Davis is obviously aware of and uh, is concerned with and thinks about all the time is how to avoid those type of performances. And and he uses the words, you know, effort and energy and toughness and talks about being cloaked in those things at all times, no matter who you're playing and, and what the situation is in the game. And I think that's something that he's working hard with, with his particular team. Now to better answer your question. Yeah. I think coach Davis has done a, a great job. It, it, <laughs> it is worth remembering. Hubert Davis is, and this is going to be worth remembering again next year with John Shire at Duke. Neither one of these guys have ever been a head coach before. And so not only are you stepping in to be the head coach at one of the most prestigious places in the sport, not only are you following one of, in both cases, one of the best coaches ever to coach in said sport, but you are also doing those two things as a first-time head coach. Those are not easy situations to step into. And so there has to be, in my opinion, a little bit of some understanding that it is a unique scenario in which there might be some speed bumps along the way, particularly as in this case, Coach Davis, or next case with Duke or whoever it might be, understanding that especially early in those tenures, there might be a feeling out period. When you mix in the fact that Carolina has – three transfers who are all playing key roles, particularly Brady Manick and Dawson Garcia. When you mix in, they do have two freshmen as well, that you've adjusted the system of how you play. There's a lot of newness to Carolina this year, and that newness isn't going to work itself out 
in 10 practices or in 10 games. What you want is by the time you get to February, that newness is not a big deal anymore, that some of those early speed bumps are not a big deal anymore, and that you have it at least a little bit figured out. And we won't know that answer until a few more weeks pass. Last thing for you, Jones. Really do appreciate you uh, spending the time as you get set for the Duke's Mayo Bowl and also North Carolina, B.C. this weekend. John Madden passed away at 85 years old, uh, we learned yesterday. Just as somebody who's been on so many broadcasts over the years, when you think about what John Madden was able to accomplish as a broadcaster, you think what? Oh, I just think about how he brought you into the game. And, you know, and by that I mean, to me, he was one of the first people that made you feel like you were watching the game with, with a friend. Right. I mean, it was there was enough X and O's that you learned something because obviously John Madden knew football at a high level and knew it better than most of the people who were watching the broadcast. And so you learned a little something, but it wasn't in some kind of professorial way. It was a way that you really enjoyed because of the way that he talked, the way that he explained it, the way that Telestrator, just all of it. You had fun, I think, watching and listening to the game when he was a part of it. And so I think, especially for for folks who are of my era, I think he is the one that you automatically think of as the person, the voice of the big game, right, with Summerall and that. And so, um, gosh, yeah, uh, just a a heartbreaking day when I saw that last night. And, And I think everybody who loves the sport um, certainly has a has a fond memory of John Madden, and uh, so sorry to see that uh, that he had passed away. Well said, Jones. Have a happy new year. Thanks so much for spending the time. Look forward to seeing you at a game sometime soon. Thanks, Josh. Talk to you soon. You got it. He's on Twitter at Jones Angel with two L's. If you want to shoot him a follow, and I'll also point out that he's a finalist for North Carolina Sportscaster of the Year for 2021 with the Triad Base. National Sports Media Association. I need the advice of a professional. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Hayes Permar brought this up earlier, but I'm seeing these clips populate my timeline on Twitter of John Madden and Pat Summerall visiting then Erickson Stadium for the first time on the call for the Panthers' first playoff win against the Dallas Cowboys in 1996. John Madden passing away at 85 years old has been a major topic all across the country today. Good to go down memory lane and listen to clips like Sam Mills having the game-clinching interception at the end of that game and how Summerall and Madden called it. I wanted to welcome in Darren Gant to the show, our friend from Panthers.com, who's been a Pro Football Hall of Fame voter for quite some time. It's good to have you here to talk about somebody that really belatedly so, but deservedly so, got inducted into the Hall of Fame. Do you have any John Madden stories you can share with us? Well, I mean, I I was not fortunate enough to know the guy personally. I was around some... uh, some group interviews, that kind of thing. And, you know, remember seeing him in passing at that game you referenced in Dallas. And, I mean, it's just 
he had such a presence about him. And I think, and as I mentioned last night on Twitter, one of the things that stood out to me about John Madden that I think we lose sight of a lot of times is this is supposed to be fun. You know, football's a game. We're supposed to enjoy this. This is large people, you know, hurtling themselves into each other for our entertainment. So this ought to be fun. And he kept it fun. He was able to, you know, latch on some of to some of the absurdity of the game sometimes and, and really explain it in a way that I think a lot of people found a connection with. I mean, he could talk X's and O's and still be approachable. He could explain concepts to people who weren't diehard X's and O's people, which is most of the people who watch a, a football broadcast, honestly. And he was fun. I mean, he's over here doing beer commercials and crashing through the wall and talking about six-legged turkeys. And isn't that how we'd all prefer to make our money, honestly? <laughs> yeah, I think that's what we're all shooting for. What do you think his greatest contribution to the sport is? I mean, he was an ambassador. He was what football is selling for a long, long time. I mean, and and I think that's a pretty, you know... That's how he fits because it's impossible to pigeonhole him. Was he an incredible coach? Of course he was. Was he an incredible broadcaster? Yes. I mean, by lending his voice to a video game that everybody played as kids and they continue to, has he furthered the growth of the game, I guess, to use that old football cliche? Yeah, of course he has. So, I mean, he's just had an impact across generations and across you know, just all different means. I mean, from he, he wasn't much of a player, but he was a great coach and an incredible broadcaster. And, and yeah, like I said, even more an ambassador for the sport. What's a story that you've read today or that you've heard secondhand about John Madden that you were reminded of since learning the news last night? Well, you know, I mean, Nate Newton had a cameo appearance here with the Carolina Panthers briefly at the end of his career. And I always loved, I mean, those little one-liners during a broadcast. And, you know, the old clip of Nate Newton, some cold-weather game, there was steam coming off his head. And man's like, look at that. You, you can cook burgers on that thing. And it just, you know, when he had that joy about him, whether he was calling a game or, or whatever it was, it was so infectious. And that's why so many people are, you know, remembering him this way right now. One thing that frustrated me about the way things ended for John Madden, Darren Gantz with us here, by the way, from uh, Panthers.com, is that, you know, there were folks I remember even, like, saying, oh, well, John Madden, he's just kind of like this guy who is really excited about things. You can says the same things over and over again. He's like the Frank Caliendo impression, all these things, at the very end when he was doing it for 25, 30 years. And the one thing that struck me about that is the same thing that struck, strikes me now when people criticize a guy like Dick Vitale, for example. Dick Vitale hyped college basketball enough to where Jay Billis could run with just basketball analysis and people actually care about that analysis. With Madden... Like, nobody was breaking down line play like what Nate Newton was doing before right. Madden made that consumable. And it kind of struck me at the end, things grew with the football analysis side of things so much because of Madden that people lost sight of that at the end, saying, I want more football analysis than what I'm getting with John Madden. Right, and, and certain people want more football analysis. I mean, and that's the thing. And, and to me, that was the beauty of what he did was 
he had the credentials as a coach to be able to credibly talk about line play and those kind of things that you mentioned. But he could also, you know, and then you throw in a boom, and this guy over here. And, and, and that's what drew people in. And I do think the combination of style and substance really made him so unique in that field, and that's, that's why he was the greatest. Darren Gant with us here. Let's get to the Panthers. How much different yeah, do you – Yeah, exactly. How, how much different do you think Saints-Panthers in Week 17 is going to look from Week 2 Panthers-Saints? <laughs> well, in Week 2, if somebody asked me if Cam Newton should come back, I said, no, of course not. Why should he come back? Who knew what turns this season would take? Um, you know, here's the weird thing about week two against the New Orleans Saints. Sam Darnold was really good that day. <laughs> I mean, and, and that's, you know, it, it sounds like I'm joking and it sounds like I'm being flipped, but, you know, I just went back through the numbers for a story we posted at Panthers.com today. I mean, let's keep in mind, the first four games of the season, Sam Darnold had a 95.4 passer rating. He completed 68% of his passes. Now, the next five games, we got bad, Sam, of 48.8% completions and 46.6 passer rating, which is dreadful. So, I mean, it's, it, they would love it to look like week two against New Orleans. That would be fantastic, and I think it would complicate some of the decisions they've got to make for next year. I mean, it's, it's incredible the way this thing has turned. I remember having conversations with people like you, people like Cal Bailey, Joe Obvious, you know, about – you know, the first month of the season and thinking this might be a playoff team. It was probably never that good because some of the fundamental issues, like the offensive line, you know, like a lot of inexperience in a lot of places, was inevitably going to show up. But, boy, they did a good job of covering it up that first month of the season. Yes, they did. Speaking of that offensive line, though, one of my favorite sports movies of the last 15 years is Moneyball with – Obviously, Brad Pitt, talking about him playing Billy Bean. And the scene that stands out in that movie that I really like, other than the way that movie ended, was when they wanted to bring in the guy played by the actor Pratt. Uh, is it Chris Pratt, Robert, that is in all these superhero movies? Do I have that right? Uh, yeah, from Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, 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 Chris Pratt. So he's the one that's playing Hatterberg. And they wanted to sign Hatterberg. And then a few other guys to replace Giambi and all these others that they had with the Athletics 20 years ago. And the guy who's playing Ron Washington says, well, there's one problem with your plan. None of those guys play first base. None of them. Well, I guess teach them is the line that Billy Bean had for a Major League Baseball team. I thought about that when I saw you tweet the headline, Sam Tecklenburg is not going to play this week. He's on the COVID reserve list. The Panthers don't have a center. Who the hell is going to be playing center Sunday? <laughs> details, details. You you wanted centers? Come on. You're getting a little greedy now, aren't you, having a guy who natively <laughs> plays a position? The, the good news is Pat Elfline, and this is good news because Pat Elfline is healthy again. Pat Elfline cleared the COVID list, so he should be back on the field on Sunday. So they will, in fact, have a center. But, yeah, it got a little dicey there for a minute. I was having some conversations inside the building with some of the personnel guys, and it's like, you know, I was like, I said a few choice words, and you got to be kidding me. And they're like, yep, that's kind of what we said, too. 
Um, it, it's you know this. They're not the only ones dealing with COVID right now. The Saints are missing 22 dudes uh, Monday night, and, and guys are going to come and go. The league's trying to hurry guys through that protocol and get guys off the list as quick as they can. That's why these rules changed. Rules changes came, but yeah, I mean it was it was a little dicey there for a second before they knew Elfline was going to clear because then you're talking about trying to bring in guys. And, and listen, I won't get into the particular names, but. The Panthers in the last couple of weeks have tried to bring guys in to sign only to have them get here and test positive for COVID. I mean, that's kind of the spot they're in right now. I mean, that's the that's where the NFL is right now. So trying to find replacements is going to be tough. And, you know, I guess from a roster management standpoint, they're fortunate that these rules have changed to cycle guys through it a little quicker so they can get them back on the field. If my math serves correct, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, Darren Gantz with us here uh, from Panthers.com, this is going to be Carolina's 16th game of the year on Sunday. And do I have it right? They'll have 12 different offensive line combinations if Tecklenburg's not able to play? Yep, if it holds up this way, well, even if he does. I mean, even if he does, well, anyway, Elfline's going to start this week. Brady Christensen probably going to be your starting left tackle from here on in, and I figure if that holds up this week, assuming nothing else changes and it might, that will be twelve and sixteen if they go if they go Christensen, Jordan, Elfline, Miller, Moten, you know, and it's hard keeping those things straight from week to week because again, twelve and sixteen weeks is ridiculous, and you know that's how a team ends up five and ten. And and listen, I, the one thing I will say. You know, and I don't see this as an employee of the Carolina Panthers. I think it's obvious that's going to be the one and one A priorities for this team this off season is one of them's going to be fixing that offensive line, and they know that, and everybody around the league knows that. So, you know, we'll see how it manifests itself. They've got money to spend. I anticipate them spending a good bit of it, and then draft capital that they come up with, uh, even though they don't have as much of it right now. A couple of those radio hosts you referred to earlier in the conversation have referred to me as being on the Panthers' payroll for suggesting that the Panthers should not fire Matt Rule and that the Panthers have made the right decision for to, to start Sam Darnold moving forward just because they've invested something in that guy and you've given draft capital for that guy and it's probably in your best interest to play that guy even if your emotions and nostalgia want you to play Cam Newton, the fact that David Tepper called Matt Rule on Monday and the way that Rule described the conversation was that he was, quote, tremendously supported, and you have the Lock and Fora report on Sunday that says that he's going to stick around for a third year. Does, does that send you a message about who David Tepper is now that this is the first opportunity he's had some pressure to fire a coach that he's hired? Um, you know what, I, I can, there, I gotta be a little careful here with how I phrase this because obviously this is such a sensitive topic around the region, around the building I work in. I mean, um, there is an impression that David Tepper is an impulsive man and that he is a, you know, knee jerk reaction guy. I will refer you back to the draft and having said it, over the rail watching that draft room unfold the guy the personnel guys in that room talked about how methodical dave was when he was evaluating trades and and 
and Scott Fitterer has described him to me. I mean, he he's like he's anything but impulsive. He wants to study everything. He wants to research everything. And, and listen, Dave said from the beginning that this thing was going to take a long time. I will never forget the day Matt Rule was hired and they had a press conference in the bubble. You know, Dave was talking about, listen, this could take three, four, five years. We want to build it right. And at that time, nobody knew Luke Keekley was about to retire. And so I'm standing there looking at Dave like, are you kidding me? Three, four, five years? You got a defense with Luke Keekley in the middle of it. Now, again, things change over the years, and and that happened, and then they're rebuilding the defense. But, you know, the guys who work for David Tepper describe him as a very methodical, you know, patient, impatient. That's a personality trait. When they talk about the way he makes decisions, they say he is very measured and very studied and, and takes the time to research stuff. And you know what? The guy said he was committed to building over the long term, you know, as you watch him do it, you kind of got to take his word for it until he proves to not be that way. It's almost like he came from a an organization that hasn't fired a football coach in its entire existence. Right. Darren Gant yeah, with us Three coaches, here. 50 years. I mean, that's the that's what everybody wants, but it's got to work. I mean, and listen, that's not to take Matt off the hook either. I mean, this obviously didn't go the way anybody was hoping this year. So, you know, this is part of the business. We'll see how they respond to it and what changes they make coming up last time we're going to be chatting in 2021 speaking of the new year what's the best new year's show or event that you've been to Ooh, you know i went to see avets here in charlotte at uh, bojangles a couple years ago was that three years ago or a hundred it's hard to three years ago yeah yeah they're going to be in uh, greensboro this year yeah, I mean it's uh, it seems like so long ago when we just freely went to concerts and and were able to enjoy that. You know, it it felt like a hundred years ago in October. I told you I went to see Frank Turner up in Asheville at the Gray Eagle, fantastic venue, and everybody stayed masked the entire time. I went to a you know the band tribute band here in town does a Thanksgiving night after Thanksgiving show every year, and you go in there and it's a completely different environment. So. Yeah, we've all got to navigate what we feel comfortable with. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back out there. I've got tickets to see Isbell in January, and that'll be great. But uh, sometime between the end of the season and the Senior Bowl, I think that one's coming through. So that'll be good. You know you know me, I, I always say go see the show. And there's a lot of shows, hopefully, that we're able to see and that we're all healthy enough to go see in the new year. Darren Gant, Happy New Year, buddy. Enjoy. Same to you. Enjoy we'll to Saints Panthers. Yeah, no doubt. Appreciate the time. See y'all. There he goes. That's Darren Gant joining us from Panthers.com.